Well, we pick up our series, The Reality of God, as we go through 1 John together by looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And just as we've been talking about for weeks, we've been looking at 1 John and seeing John's concern. John's concern as an older man writing to his children or people that were like his children, concerned for what was coming into the church at that time, the messages that were creeping in, the false teachers and false prophets that were creeping into the church. And John was concerned and he writes to his children, individuals that are children, like children to him. And this morning we'll look at 1 John chapter 4 where John is chiefly concerned about the purity of the message of the gospel. The message of men and women that had been coming into the congregation of the people of God and preaching a false gospel. He was concerned about the purity of the message that was creeping into the church. Others that were coming in the name of God and presenting a false gospel. And so we read together in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 10, hear the word of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit to test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the grass withers, and the flower surely fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Fifty years ago, if you were to ask someone what was the main barrier towards peace in the world, they more than likely would have said political ideology, for we were in the Cold War, You might have been able to ask that question and got the same answer maybe 40 years ago or even 30 years ago. But if you were to ask that question today, what is the main barrier towards peace in the world? Many might say religion, or more specifically, religious exclusivity. Especially in Christianity, we find exclusivity all across the board in Christianity. We say that there is only one way to God, 
And that is the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that there is only one source for understanding who God is. And that is, that is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And many in our cultural to, culture today, the cultural moment of our day, would say it is religious exclusivity. It is the exclusivity of Christianity, for instance, that leads to having peace in the world and actually leads to many of the problems in the world. If you were to go to any bookstore, if you were to surf Amazon, if you were to look through the libraries of books out there on religion and religious inspiration, you would find book after book after book that talks about many of the issues that we're facing today are a direct result of religion or a direct result of religious exclusivity. And so maybe, after all, if in the cultural moment of our day, we finally wake up and realize the Beatles were right. All we need is love. We don't need to worry about doctrine. We don't need to worry about theology. We don't need to worry about who's right or who's wrong. We don't need to worry about the exclusivity of Christianity. All we need is love. But John, here in 1 John chapter 4, says that's not all we need. It's actually in 1 John chapter 4 that John himself says it's actually the distinctives of our message that we must contend for. It's actually the exclusivity of the message of Jesus Christ and the distinctives and the uniqueness of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we must contend for. And what John wants his readers to understand and ultimately wants us to understand this morning, it's actually the exclusive message of Christianity. It's the distinctives and the uniqueness of the Christian gospel to catch this. This will surely fly in the face of our culture. It is the distinctiveness of Christianity and the exclusivity of Christianity that John wants us to understand will ultimately answer the problems of the world. And will ultimately answer your problems. The culture says, don't worry about the exclusivity of religion. Don't worry about the distinctives. As soon as we start worrying about those, that's when problems creep in. But John says, no, it must be our chief concern because it is the distinct, unique message of Christianity that truly answers the problems of this world and ultimately the problems in our life. So what ultimately is John wanting us to do here? When we get to verse 1, if he wants us to contend for this message, if he wants us to contend for the message of Christianity, if he is concerned about the purity of the gospel, what is he asking us to do? In verse 1, he says something very peculiar. He says, test the spirits. And then he goes on to say, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John here is talking about false teachers. He's talking about false prophets. Then why doesn't John simply say, test the teacher, test the false prophet, test the teacher to know whether he's from God? Why does he confuse us? We're already confused, right? Why does he confuse us all the more by saying, test the spirits? John is trying to say something very profound to us. You see, when somebody comes in the name of God, they are ultimately coming with a spiritual influence. 
John Stott says this, that when somebody comes in the name of God or even comes in the name of religion, do not mistake their take on religious things or spiritual items as just mere intellectual opinions. He basically says when somebody comes in the name of God or comes in the name of religion, this is not as if somebody is waxing eloquent on their political ideology or giving their opinion on politics or the weather. When somebody comes in the name of God, there is a real spiritual influence behind them. And what John is trying to say is if they are truly of God, if they are truly coming in the name of God, you will be able to test the spirit. Because when they are coming in the name of God and truly preaching truth and delivering truth and communicating truth, it is actually not them preaching or communicating. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is preaching for them. So the way that you'll know that they are from God, the way that you will know whether what they are preaching and teaching is true or false, if they are truly of God, you will be able to test and discern the Spirit. Very important for us to understand that, what John is trying to say. And John doesn't only say, test the Spirit, test to see if this is the Spirit of truth coming from the mouth of the preacher or for the teacher of God. He says, many of them, there are many false prophets, it says in, in, in verse 1. Many false prophets that have gone into the world. Now this is only 60, 65, 70 years after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So John is not saying this is an anomaly. He's saying already, 60, 65, 70 years after the life and ministry of Christ, many false prophets are out there. And shouldn't we be just as concerned as well? 2,000 years after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. What John is trying to warn all of us is false prophets and false teaching are not anomalies, but they're all around. And for the context here in 1 John chapter 4, it's not as if they were preaching in some pagan temple. John says that they had crept into the congregation. And so for our modern context, to put it into our context today, if John was to be standing here this morning, he would say, Every preacher you see on TV, every Christian book that you read, everybody that you see out coming in the name of God or the name of even Jesus Christ, be discerning. Test the Spirit to see whether it is true or whether it is false. But how does John exactly want us to do this? He says to test the Spirit because there's many false prophets, there's many false teachers among you. It's two things that he gives us this morning, two things in this passage that we as Christians can go out and discern whether the message that we hear is true or whether it's false. Two things that are unique to the message of Christianity. The first question that he wants us to answer is who is Jesus? Jesus is what makes Christianity unique. And then salvation. How are we saved? So Jesus and salvation are the two tests that John gives his readers and ultimately delivers unto us this morning. Jesus and salvation. Who is this Jesus and how are we saved? 
So the first way that he wants us to test the Spirit to discern whether that message that the person comes to us from God is true or false is found to us in verses 2 and 3. He says, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses what? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the first test that John gives us is does the preacher, does the teacher, does the one coming from God say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Why is this so important? You see, in this time, and even today, we might hear people say that Jesus was a good man. We might hear that Jesus was a great teacher, or that Jesus was an incredible prophet. He was a great miracle worker, he was a great healer, and he certainly led, led a movement that turned the world upside down. But you also hear that they'll say, but we can't truly believe that Jesus came down from heaven. We can't truly believe that he is the second person of the Trinity. We can't truly believe that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. But that's what John says here. He says those that profess that Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the one who's been set apart has actually come in the flesh. You see, in this day, people believe that Jesus was either a figment of the imagination or that he was just a good man that, that was sent out from God to deliver this message. But they were already 60, 65 years after the life of Christ, already struggling with controversies of whether Jesus was truly fully God or fully man. You see, every world religion says that their founder was born and their founder died. But it's the founder of Christianity that we are able to say that our founder and our leader is the second person of the Trinity, that he is both fully God and fully man because it required God literally coming down in the person of Jesus Christ, that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that was God coming down in the flesh. John wants us to understand the doctrine of the incarnation is critical in understanding whether the message is true or whether the message is false. So understanding who Jesus is is absolutely critical to understanding the true message of Christianity. And not only understanding that Jesus truly is the Son of God, but that Jesus is the only way to God. What does John say in verse 3? He says in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Think about how profound that statement is. Think about even in our, in our modern discourses and commentary on world religions, everyone scrambling to be able to say, well, we all believe ultimately in God. We just believe that there's different paths to God. We believe that there's different trails to God. We believe that there's different ways to God. But it doesn't matter what you call yourself as long as you believe that there is a God. And what John is saying is, no, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. See, this is the same John that said in, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he recorded the very words of Jesus where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. John wants us to understand that to discern between that which is true and that which is false, we must understand that Jesus the Christ is fully God and fully man and that he is the only way, he is the only path 
to God that besides that, without that, we do not have the message that we hold so dearly. We do not have the true message of the gospel. It is what makes our message distinct. And we must be discerning and hearing and listening for that message. Jesus is fully God and fully man, our only mediator between God and man. But the second thing that John wants us to use to discern between that which is true and that which is false is the method of salvation. But before we see the Christian method of salvation or the way of salvation, it's important for us to understand what does the world say? You see, every religion has some type of path towards salvation. Every world religion has some way in which they identify a problem in the world. We happen to call it sin. They might call it brokenness. They might call it turmoil, whatever it might be. But every world religion and worldview and ideology has some problem that they have identified. Every world religion has some path out and has some way out. They have some means towards salvation. But every world religion says this, in order to be saved, in order to be rescued, you must perform the truth. For Christianity, if you were to look at Christianity on the surface, you would say that our truth is what? Love God and love others. So we might easily take away from Christianity and go, well, we're basically all the same with all the other world religions. We just happen to believe that you must love God and love others. But every religion has an ethic that is and value system that is somewhat similar. And as long as you love God and love others, God will bless you and save you. The world says, religion says, I have the truth and that I'm saved through performing the truth. But it's only Christianity that says what it says here in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We didn't read verse 19, but skip down to verse 19. It was in the anthem that we sung this morning. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. You see, the message of Christianity, what makes Christianity unique and distinct from any religion in the world is that it's the message of Christianity and the method of Christianity alone that says you are not saved by performing the truth. You're not saved by loving God and loving others, but that you are saved through God loving you in such a way that he sent his son to die for you. You are not saved through how you love God, but you are saved by how God loves you and has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. This idea of propitiation in verse 10, it means atoning sacrifice, that Jesus Christ was the only one that could ultimately appease God, that Jesus was the only one that could make an atonement that was right and pleasing before God the Father. See, the message of Christianity and the message of Christianity alone is a message of a God who comes down and sacrificially pours himself out for people that don't love him. Not that we have loved, but that God loves us through his Son. We love because he first loved us. The world says, live well and you will be saved. The message of the gospel says, Jesus lived perfectly for you. He can save you so that you can live forever.
You see, it is the method, met, this method of salvation which John wants us to understand is that it's the only true method of salvation. The method of God's grace, as it is written here, is what makes Christianity distinct. And that if you hear another gospel, if you hear another method of salvation, if you hear of God saving men and women by any other means or any other way, it is not the truth. It is not the true message of the gospel that we have laid our lives down for. Christianity is the only faith system that says you're not saved because you're wise. It's the only faith system that says you're not saved because you're virtuous. It's the only faith system that says you're not saved because you're good, but that God was good for you through the person of Jesus Christ. Now you might be sitting here this morning and say, all this exclusive talk, Jesus is the only way, Jesus the incarnate, one is the only true way to God. The method of salvation as it's, as it's prescribed here in the gospel that man is not saved by being good or by loving well. All of this exclusive talk, I mean, it sounds so self-righteous. Isn't this the problem in the world? Self-righteousness from the pulpits. How can an educated man in the 21st century have such an ignorant view of the world and of, of religion? How can we still be talking about this it leads to self-righteousness and division think about it on the surface we are saying all you world religions out there your leader was just a man our leader was God sounds pretty self-righteous but when Jesus Christ came to the earth 2,000 years ago it was a phenomenon it was actually produced the exact opposite. You would think on the surface that this would produce self-righteousness, but it did the exact opposite. It's actually the movement of Christianity 2,000 years ago is one of the great paradoxes of all of history. You see, 2,000 years ago, Greco-Roman paganism had their gods. They had a god for everything. It was actually very, on the surface, inclusive. You have your god and we have our god. But then along comes Christianity and says, no, Jesus and Jesus alone is our God. Jesus and Jesus alone is our only way to get to heaven. It appears very exclusive. The Greco-Roman paganism, very inclusive. Christianity seems very exclusive. But the simple fact of history is that Christianity produced one of the most inclusive communities the history, this history, this world has ever seen. Nobody has ever seen anything like it. You see, and I've mentioned this before, that the pagans didn't r mix rich with the poor, but the Christians did. The pagans didn't serve those that were outside of their fold or didn't look and talk and believe like they did, but the Christians did. The Jews didn't mix the races and the cultures, but the Christians did. How did this exclusive view of God how did this very exclusive God view of religion produce and lead to one of the most inclusive, peace-loving behavior and community the world has ever seen? Think about it. You see, if Jesus isn't just a good guy, but he's God, then in Jesus Christ, God became visible. And if it was truly the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, hanging on that cross... We see God hanging on a cross, loving people who didn't love him back. 
We see God, the second person of the Trinity, sacrificially giving up his life for people that would mock him and hang him on that cross. We see God, the second person of the Trinity, asking for forgiveness on behalf of the people as they abandoned him and mocked him and opposed him. You see, the world has never seen love like this. The world has never seen sacrifice like this. And it turned the world upside down. You see, it explains, it's the only explanation for last Palm Sunday, the story of the Coptic church in Egypt. As they were gathering for worship on Palm Sunday in Egypt, the Coptic church gathered, but little did they know that ISIS had planted bombs in their sanctuary. And 40 people were murdered and countless others hospitalized. But the following week on Easter Sunday, you know what the head of the Coptic church said in his sermon? He addressed ISIS, and this is what he said to ISIS. He says, I want to thank you because you've done us a great favor. You see, you've allowed us to die in the same death our Savior died. And there's no greater privilege. There's no greater privilege than for the Christian to die like their Savior. So we want to thank you. But in, the head of the church not only said that, he said, I also want to thank you because you've expedited our journey home. Many of our brothers and sisters are now home with Jesus, and they got there much faster because of you, and so we want to thank you. But not only that, we want to thank you because you've done our work for us on Easter Sunday. Our churches are full this morning. There's not an empty seat in one of our sanctuaries. And you've done that work for us. You see, we were getting quite complacent and apathetic and lethargic. But you've inspired us. You've helped fill our churches this morning. I want to thank you. Who talks like this? Who lives like this? You see, most of the, most of the world today doesn't go to church around the world unless they believe it to be true that the resurrection really happened. Most of the world doesn't dare go to church today unless they know that this gospel is absolute truth because they don't know whether this is their last day here on earth. You see, these are people that know the truth and are changed by it. But not only does this message change the world, but it can change you this morning. I recently heard in closing this morning of a mom who was concerned about her daughter the woman began to see her daughter do very strange things. Her teenage daughter was getting involved with new kids and she didn't like it. She was going to Bible studies and asking to go on mission trips and, and even going to church. And the mom says, doesn't she know that we are not a religious family? What is, what is my daughter getting herself into? But one night while her daughter was sleeping, the mom crept into her room and grabbed her Bible. And she didn't know where to start. All she opened up and she said, there's, a, there's an old part and there's a new part, so I better go with the updated version. And she started with Matthew. She started reading one hour. One hour led to two hours. And two hours led to three hours. Until the tears were rolling down her face. She got on her knees and she said, Jesus, I never knew. I never, ever knew that you knew me. And I didn't know you. Jesus, I never, never knew that you loved me when I didn't love you. 
It changed her life. It can change your life today. I will challenge you with this this morning in closing. You can go out and try to find another message. You can go out and try to find another religion, try to find another worldview, try to find another love like this, and I promise you, you will be back here with the same conclusion that millions and millions and millions have discovered and came to, that there is no love like this. There is no message like this. There is no Jesus like this. There is no message you can search under every rock and behind every tree and never find a God that loves us while while we were yet sinners. All you need is love. They were right. But you'll never find the love you ultimately need. You'll never find the love that you are ultimately desperate for apart from the love of Jesus Christ. All you need is the love of God that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And there's good news in that message. There's good news. Because that same message that has transformed millions of people can transform and change your life this morning. The good news of this gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he invites you this morning, regardless of who you are or where you've been or where you've come from. The message is simple. The invitation is simple. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus, has the right to be called a child of God. And that invitation is extended to you this morning. Do not wait. Do not wait till tonight. Do not wait till tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation for all who receive Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, it's the good news because it's the best news. And the reason it's the best news is because it's the only news that tells us of a God who loves us while we were yet sinners. And so would you look no further than Jesus Christ, the one who came down, the one who laid down his life, the one who became unlovable so that you would forever be loved by God.